0: Want to scale your practice like a million-dollar producer? Wall Street Growth Hacks features interviews with successful wealth management guests who share actionable tips to help you level up assets under management. Our host is Antoinette Rodriguez, CEO of New York City-based MarFi Advisors, a coaching firm for million-dollar financial advisors since 2005. Let's get this party started. Welcome to Wall Street Growth Hacks. I'm Antoinette Rodriguez, CEO of Marfa Advisors, a marketing and strategy coaching firm for million-dollar wealth managers. Our guest today is Bart Zansbergen. Bart and I go way back to when I contemplated moving to Newport Beach. We were introduced by our dear friend, who I call L-squared, just like I go by A-Rod. Let's begin with shining a well-deserved light on our wonderful guest background. With almost three decades of dedication and service, Bart is the founder and CEO at the Zandsbergen Group. Bart is a fitness enthusiast who enjoys surfing and is a certified sommelier. He is the founder of Kindness Cures, an organization that brings visibility and funding to anti-bullying nonprofits. He was named to Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors List for 2020, America's Best Financial Planners, and a five-star wealth manager, five years in a row, by Orange Coast Magazine. Welcome to our show, my friend.
1: Hey, Rod. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Bart, where are you? Already alluded to Newport Beach. So, are you there today?
1: So, my office is in Laguna Beach, which is one city south of Newport Beach.
0: Laguna Beach. So basically living the dream, <laughs> making, <laughs> making those of us on this coast really jealous.
1: <laughs> I will say it's not too bad to live and work in Laguna Beach.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And again, I said, I contemplated. I'll, that's a long story why that didn't happen. But nevertheless, one of the good things that came out of it was meeting you. So thank yeah. you again for joining our show.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: So Bart, childhood is said to influence much of what we become. And I know we've touched on it in the past. How did child Bart become powerhouse adult Bart?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I grew up very middle class, lower middle class. My dad was a truck driver. My mom was stay at home. They're both of European descent, both immigrated here. English was their second language. And I didn't know much different, other than we were on the, if you would say, the other side of the tracks. And my mom would often, suggest that though so those friends of yours have this because they're on that side of the street and so that I never felt bad about that but it, it did resonate with me that I would like to have things that are on the others the people on the other side of the street had time went on again I, I don't look at that as a deterrent I probably more of a motivator and then as time went on I had college I was college bound I was very academic and I thought that computer programming was going to be my, my career. <laughs> so I finished college with a bachelor's degree in business with a concentration in what was called then management information systems, which was business programming. MIS. <laughs> MIS, exactly. So we're close to the same age. You know what okay. that is. Programmed for a year. Wasn't really happy. So I thought, it's just the job. I don't like this company. Went to another company. It lasted two years. And I finally realized this is just not the career for me. And then I got excited about maybe sales of computer systems. So using what I knew of computers and then my more, a little more outgoing personality of combining those and IBM, I had my target set on IBM and I thought that was the place. Now, unfortunately for me, I didn't have the proper training and uh, that, or any connection. So that didn't work out, but I didn't give up. And I found a position that was a sales support. I was referred to as a systems engineer. So I was more of the techie component of a sales. And I had specifically and strategically taken that position so that I could leap into a sales position eventually. And that worked. Within a year, I was then marketable in sales. And I did find a position where I was selling computer systems. And ultimately what happened was I became successful enough at that young age selling computer systems that I needed a financial advisor for myself. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of started the whole thing. I'll just, I'll just put a bow on the story a couple of years into that. And finally, as I was approaching my uh, 30th birthday, I just woke up one day and realized I'm not, I'm financially doing great, but I'm just not fulfilled. It's one of those moments. Yep. And I had a close relationship with my financial advisor at the time. who's was a friend of mine from the gym. And I happened to mention it to him. He's a good advisor. He, he knew how to ask the right questions. And he just said one time, he said, you know, what, why don't you consider a career in financial services as a financial advisor? And like most big decisions, I, I took that information, thought about it, digested. And probably about six months into it, I remember waking up about two o'clock in the morning, sat straight up and realized, this is it. I'm going to do this. And then it was a long process on the transition. But that was my childhood to a financial advisor.
0: That was your epiphany. Yes. Moment. Yes. Most importantly, that all, the, uh, all of the experiences prior to that led you there, right?
1: Yes, for so sure. It's
0: the fork in the road, and you decide to go one way or the other. So, thank you. Yes. So, Stephen Covey says you should begin with the end in mind. Since financial advisors are tasked with the weight of important client life goals, consistent self care cannot be overstated. I know you're a diligent health and wellness enthusiast, and I've seen some of your posts with mm-hmm. the uh, the pre- preparation of the food. In fact, you've motivated me. So for whatever <laughs> it's worth, you've helped a yeah. New York girl get ready in the morning, much to the chagrin of my teenager. Can you take us through your routine and tell us how it has helped you become a better financial advisor?
1: Yeah, sure. I don't know where or how this happened, but I'm a very disciplined person. And maybe it was, my dad was a very, even as a truck driver, he was very, had a strong work ethic. I think maybe that transferred to me, but not just with work, with all areas of my life. The fitness component, as you mentioned earlier, I founded an anti-bullying foundation. As a young child, I was bullied because I was overweight and introverted. So... There was a turning point, which is a story within itself. I realized and acted upon something to change my life. And then that stuck. And like with most things, if I'm into it, I'm into it. And so I'm now like 42 years into health and fitness. Other than a two separate shoulder surgeries, I've never missed more than two or three in a row in the gym. So how that tra- I think how that helps me as an advisor is I'm alert, I'm attuned, I'm healthy, and I'm able to take on the tasks of the day. The some, some cases, long days, the stress of the market, whatever that might be. But it's a very important aspect of my life. And I, we might get to it a little bit later, but my concept of true wealth, it's a big pillar in that lineup.
0: I believe Tony Robbins says that you are praised in public for what you work on in private. Everyone would see you today, think, well, introvert and overweight. Those are two of the most far, <laughs> farthest adjectives <laughs> about you today. So that's an interesting progression. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how success is rarely linear. And sometimes how when you plan, God laughs. Take us through the journey of your practice. and. How did you get here and who do you work with?
1: I I love that statement about God laughing at your plans. And even as a planner, I certainly had goals as an advisor, but I didn't really have specific plans that by X date, I'm going to hire new advisors. And that wasn't part of it. A lot of it was just stick-to-itiveness. Is that the word stick-to-itiveness? Yeah. Just going in persistency. I left. I guess we can say this, this was like, it was over 30 years ago. I left a job back then into the hundred thousand dollars a year. I left that job salary benefits would be an FA. And do you remember what your salary is when you start as an FA? It's zero. <laughs> zero it <was> zero. <laughs> <laughs> so I struggled, I struggled the first couple of years. I had a wife, a house, two kids. Wow. So I did the FA during the day. I worked as a little embarrassing, but, but I worked as a bouncer at night. I did some other side jam yeah. modeling stuff. I did whatever it took to do what I needed to do. And so the plan then was just survive, (laughs) make it, get, and I did. My, the advisors that I was working with, or at least the one advisor, he was a great mentor and in those days, and I know some guys are still doing it today. I don't, but seminars were a big deal. And so I was very low level, make the calls, follow up after the seminar or that sort of thing. And I have clients today from 30 years ago from those seminars. That was really the early days. And it was five years I felt, okay, I'm surviving. I've I've crossed that that milestone. And by the 10th year, I realized this is it. I'm going to be okay. And now I did just pass my 30th year. And there was a big turning point. Again, I think this applies to just intuitiveness and a bit to intuition. I have worked with people in the past where they say, and this is going to answer part of your question, well, you have to set a minimum. You can't work with the quote unquote small. I worked with a group of five partners and they were just starting their business and we had become friends. And back in the day, I was a kind of a, a jack of all trades. I was doing their employee benefits. I was doing a little bit of their insurance and they were doing a little bit of small monthly investing. A seasoned advisor probably wouldn't have touched them with a 10 foot pole. And I was building my book. My AUM was getting to a pretty reasonable level. Six years ago, those five partners sold their business for $260 million. And I got a big part of the after tax and after buying their houses and so forth. But I got a big part of that. So I doubled my AUM that year. And so you go, what's your plan? Did you? I didn't plan that. My plan was just to work hard, service my clients the best I can. Hopefully they see the value. Hopefully they give referrals. And so that has always been my plan. More of that than being very specific on things.
0: Mm-hmm. And I imagine now with the greatest wealth transfer ever in the history of the world, some clients or some prospects who not, might not be considered an ideal client can be the person that inherits X number of dollars or moves into it a certain job.
1: Yeah. My, I had a small stint at a previous firm, which is a whole long story within itself, but there were the ones that really put pressure on, drop these clients. They're not, they don't fit our formula. I've had probably a half a dozen of 100, $200,000 clients that either inherited, sold a business they had stock in, and that 200 became two to 5 million on each of those six people in the last five years. So I we get I think people get in this business for different reasons. And one let's face it, we all like to make money and we want to be financially sound, but I really like helping people, like servicing people. And I have clients today that are would be considered quote unquote small. But and some have said to me, Or well, we can tell we've seen your new office or <laughs> uh, I don't know if we belong with you. I said, You absolutely belong with me. Mm-hmm. That's a commitment I made to you, and I'll keep that for as long as I'm working.
0: Excellent. So that's a philosophy. And Of course, the context is that 30 years ago, depending on when you started in this business to a degree, the real, the only way to market was cold calling and casting a a wide net. And as the marketing methods have changed, so has the typical client that someone might pick up if they're a newer financial advisor. But that thing that you mentioned about the 10-year mark, it's very interesting. It's not a... In any case, I remember when I started at Merrill and I interviewed with the manager there. And the big discussion back then was if you do X, then you can become a million dollar producer. And to a degree, of course, they're trying to sell you on on joining the firm at that time. All the firms do that, recruiters. But the question is, how do you get to that point? And how long might it take you depending on your Rolodex? Actually, if I just said Rolodex, I think I've really dated you.
1: Just say, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. quiet. laughs>
0: Your database, how's that?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Depending on your database. So
1: I've had a number of people, younger advisors, come to me for just advice or suggestions or whatnot. And the simplest one I give is just stay in the game, in the game. just stick to it. Service your clients, stick to it. And I didn't make this up, but 10 years does. I know it seems like a long time for someone who's just one or two years in, in practice, but it, it is a mark, right? It is a line. And I I have one of my very good buddies. I think he's nine years. He's at Northwest Mutual and he's, and I've been talking to him for years. He's like, you're right. I feel I'm a year away from being like over that hump where I know this is it.
0: I like, is it Mal- Malcolm Gladwell that has the 10,000 steps?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, that, that 10 number. So I delightfully see many of your social media (laughs) posts featuring your very beautiful family. You you. refer to them as true wealth. Would you let our audience know how they have helped you become a better financial advisor?
1: Sure. It's probably been 15 years, halfway into my career where I realized, okay, money obviously is important. we talked about that already throughout this. But there's wealth or true wealth is more than money. I think health is, I know this is a coined phrase, but health is the ultimate wealth because you probably know this as well as the advisors listening. We have clients that work their entire lives to save as much money as they can. And at the expense of their health, only at that time to rapidly use whatever wealth they've accumulated to try to regain their health. And that that doesn't always... Happen. You can't always do that. So I'm a big believer, and that is a pillar of true wealth. I think some sort of a faith, whatever that is, doesn't matter. But having that faith is an important pillar. Service to others is a pillar, legacy. But family, family and friends, I think are so important. Again, without that, what why are you working? What do we do this for? And so I think my the thing that I consciously, and I'll use the word struggle, but I consciously am aware of is balance in life because work and my class are very important to me, but I have a fragmented, probably not the right definition, but I have, you have my young daughter, then I have my older kids and grandkids and trying to balance time with everyone is so important to me, but it's very challenging.
0: You mentioned grandkids and I know people will do a double take on that, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, there's a beautiful photo. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful family with us and motivating us, really inspiring, because I'm sure people look at you as a role model for many reasons. And that's definitely a role model area that I aspire to uh, with my daughter. And you mentioned the health is wealth. Clearly, many people know this already. I'm a 9-11 breast cancer survivor. If and when you hopefully never get a message like that, you will truly understand that it is everything. In fact, it's the only thing. And the very first thing you think of, as they say, proverbially, you're not thinking of the office at that time. Right. The thing you're thinking of is, in my case, it's my daughter, in fact, it was the only thing that I asked for. I said to the doctors in the room, I said, can you give me five years? Can I, what do I need to do to make it for five years? Because my daughter was 13 and I yeah. wanted to get her to high school, to senior year at least, And luckily, knock on wood, she's 17, (laughs) doing some college tours right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: health is wealth and oh my goodness.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure.
0: How has the pandemic affected who you are, how you approach work and life?
1: I think the pandemic was a separator. For some, they, and I don't say anything with any judgment, it's just true. I think some kind of hid in a hole and didn't know what to do or how, and Student, and again, no judgment just with what they did. And then I think some took, made lemonade out of lemons. And so what are the opportunities? What can you do? I chose to, to lift from my previous firm, build out a new office, and start an office with my own brand during the pandemic.
0: I was watching so. that. I thought you are <laughs> <You're> really brave.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it took on a long lease, not even knowing like when and if you know, that we were going to be... I. I instinctively figured we're going to go back to an office someday, but still took on a long lease on Pacific Coast Highway in Laguna Beach. So it's not cheap. Built out the office on my own dime. And I looked at it like, hey, we're all working from home now anyway. That's expected. And we have that rhythm going. So what does it matter if we build out an office? We're not holding up business because we're working at home anyway. And um, it was pretty seamless. (laughs) It was pretty seamless and we just were always there and we were available for clients. They knew that we were there. And in some cases, I'm, I prefer to have my people here in the office. That's my preference. But I will say for those that are work from home on time, they're very productive. Matter of fact, I think maybe even more so because they get up, they don't have to get dressed. They're working from their jammies <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> so they're maybe working longer, but we just took that as an opportunity to grow. And just to make sure clients knew that we were here. And guess what? We also, we
0: got new clients too. So along those lines, how has the client acquisition and retention worked for you during and after the pandemic? Has anything changed about the way you market, for example?
1: Yeah, so my marketing is I don't, that's, I can't say that. I do work on branding, which is a form of marketing, but no, I don't do seminars. I don't do outgoing. I don't do anything like that. I'm just making, I just want to make sure I have a solid brand. And I know that social media is considered marketing, so that I put a lot of effort there. And this is also, you talk about, I say this in just I'm an overnight success after 25 years. There's been attorneys and CPAs that, I've, that I have worked with and given referrals to for 20 years with nothing. And in the last five, honestly, when, since I opened my office, all of a sudden the floodgate opened and, th- and it's coming in and coming in. So there's my overnight success after 25 years. I think it goes back too to discipline and persistence and stick to You just I'm a believer and this is somewhat biblical, but give first. I give my referral sources, my centers of influence. And not just for the sake of giving. These are solid people who I knew are going to do a good job for my clients and we have a good relationship. But it took a long time to get reciprocation.
0: And understanding the circle of influence focus is on protecting themselves to a degree in their reputation yeah. that's why all those years are important but the integrity the consistency the keeping your word the over delivering right those are all things if you do that for the clients that they refer to you that reflects well on themselves and i was just talking to someone who's a referral expert and she was talking about that that the real reason someone refers someone to you is not for you it's for them <laughs> to make them
1: yeah make them look good right themselves
0: yeah. in some way that they are yeah. referring you as a reliable resource as a trustworthy resource and of course unless you exemplify all of those qualities that elevates them they're probably not going to refer you or it's going to take a really long time. Even in the best case scenario, it might take a long time simply because of the personality profiles of some of the referral sources. They're not necessarily in sales role, not something that they would necessarily think about. Attorneys and accountants, et cetera. So, so there's that. Yeah. Congratulations on getting those after you're over, your overnight. <laughs> that's what the circle of influence. <laughs> 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 so to that point, who are good business partners or Circle of Influence for you, and who have you gelled best with? Are there any surprise partners you had not earlier accounted for, surprise referrals?
1: I don't know if I would call it surprise, but traditional CPAs, if you can get a referral from them, they're, I think, the hardest for the reason that you said. that They're just not of that mindset, and they're very protective of their reputation estate planning attorneys they're working with people with wealth and there's planning and usually asset management sometimes insurance involved so there if there was a surprise it's this and i have worked it and i got a special certification to specialize in that area but it's family law attorneys so divorce divorce attorneys uh, they're called family law and there's a joke (laughs) here in my office this part isn't the joke. So I went through a divorce twenty years ago. So I have firsthand experience, and that's what I think you learn more from that than any school of hard knocks, and you know, from any certification. But be, because I became somewhat of a go-to because of my own personal experience, I decided well, let me get certified. But the joke here in the office is, I've had clients divorce, and I, I continue to work with both spouses. <laughs> And then sometimes I get referrals from the uh, either side, and, and then I work. Just recently, someone's been divorced for ten or fifteen years, and her ex husband is now calling me. So it's a very strange situation where I'm I'm at both sides of the divorce.
0: That's a testament to you. We <laughs> could have been the therapist to maybe help them stay together from
1: the I'm sure
0: they know what both sides would would like.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: So where, where do the majority of your referrals come from? And why do you feel that clients refer a business to you?
1: So it's p- now probably evenly split between existing clients, centers of influence. And this isn't referral per se, but we you talk about marketing and social media. I'm now getting calls from like high school people that just remember me, have seen me, have trust in me. So that's a weird dilemma all by itself. Or mm-hmm. It just, it's very strange that someone from 40 years ago would still, I remember you and I trust you. And like, that's, it makes me feel good, but I think it's a kind of a strange situation. About 10 years ago, we did a marketing survey and I'd hired someone to help with this. And they went, and this was excruciating because she said, I need five of your clients and we're going to interview them about you. No, I started like a little bit hyperventilating, <laughs> I don't know why, these are great long-term clients. You don't want to hear anything you don't want to hear. But the kind of the, which what made me really warm my heart was he's trustworthy. He listens, he understands. And those were the three key things that really, I was so happy about that. That's what comes across because that's how I, that's what I feel I tried to do. It's
0: interesting how none of that <laughs> and none of those qualities is in any Credential or certificate, those are the adjectives. And that is what drives people because of course, when they refer business to you, they're putting their reputation on the line. And those are the types of adjectives that they need to at least feel, if not directly say, to be comfortable sending people to you. Right?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Bart, that went really fast.
1: (laughs) It always does, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) it Please, would you tell our audience how they can learn more about your practice?
1: Oh, thank you. So my website is zandbergengroup.com. That's Z like zebra, A-N-D-B-E-R-G-E-N group.com. If you want to learn more about me personally, I have my own site, bartzandbergen.com, and it goes more into my, my passions in addition to financial advising, which is wine and fitness and fashion, and, and then all of the primary social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.
0: Thanks to all of you, our audience, for staying till the end of the show and our charismatic guest, Bart Zanbergen. Please do Brooklyn Girl a favor and subscribe to our Wall Street Growth Hacks podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring podcast episodes or submitting an educational article that will help financial advisors grow their practices, click on the link beneath this post or the show notes. And since I'm a proud Latina Sound of Music fan, so long, adieu, Auf e y adios. You've been listening to Wall Street Growth Hacks, the ultimate podcast for million-dollar financial advisors. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast episode or a financial advisor who wants to share your success journey or check out bonus content, head over to MarfiAdvisors.com please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe for future value-packed shows.